welcome to Real Women Real Estate Podcast. Woo! Woo! <laughs> All right. Woo, Carla. I got a woo. I get yeah, it. Woo. Yeah. Guys, this is going to be a very awesome and informational episode. Uh, we have a very special guest by the name of Miss Carla Dennis, and we're going to tell you all about who she is just in a second. But, you know, we have to hit you with a quote of the day. And today's quote is, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. And that is by the Muhammad Ali. So let's get back to the special guest that we have. Miss um, Carla Dennis is a tax expert and business strategist. She's been in Forbes magazine and she is an expert tax and business strategist who is licensed to represent taxpayers in all 50 states. She holds a master's in taxation and business development and is the author of two books, Tax Storm and Against the Odds. Carla is the founder of consultancy firm Carla Dennis and Associates and she has saved her clients thousands of dollars and has been featured in various media outlets such as Finance Strategist, Market Watch, Forbes, MSNBC, KTLA, Yahoo Finance, and Spark Money, marking her as the ultimate tax expert. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on Real Women Real Estate. I'm just pleased that you guys asked me to be on your show. I'm always honored to be with other women, other powerful women, and I always learn something. So it's it's my pleasure. We are definitely uh, in student mode. I know I speak for myself. I think we talked a little bit about the show. I am far from a tax expert, (laughs) speaking for myself. So I'm looking forward to the nuggets that you share today. We're going to jump right in. And the first question we have for you is, you know, a lot of us are new business owners, um, just getting into the realm of working for ourselves. What are just some key tax write-offs that business owners need to be aware of? Yeah, I think um, for people that are getting in it for the first time, bootstrapping their way, I just think it's awesome to see people doing that. And really, anything can be a write-off. It's just really linking that write-off to trying to acquire income. Being in the pursuit of income is really the key. And I say that people kind of think that Certain expenses can be write-offs, but the way you have to kind of think of it is everybody runs their their business from a different perspective. So what may be common to one person is not common to another person. Um, A good example is I had a lady who was a real estate agent and she would sell homes on the beach. So she would take people out on cruises and then she actually purchased a yacht for herself. And certainly Carla Dennis doesn't own a yacht, but if I do, I'm gonna find a way to write it off from a tax perspective. But at the end of the day, it's linking those basic things that you do to the pursuit of income and really tracking those expenses separately, even if it's in a separate personal account, just being mindful of I'm creating this expense because I'm trying to earn money. I think it's it's a loaded question, right? Because it's more about what's your tax strategy, more right. so than like what can you what can you write off? Because after you know doing some research, you know a lot. All three of us are um, are business owners, right? But it's not so much as hey, can I write off this car or hey, can I write off you know this particular? But what is my what is my tax strategy? Am I looking to write off every single thing, you know, or am I looking to report some, you know, some income? And so as 
I think a better question is, I think this was my question, it could be better. And so instead of like, what are some uh, tax write-offs for business owners, as a as real estate professionals, which are most of our um, our audience, what is the best tax strategy? What is the best tax strategy um, as a, let's just even narrow it, niche it down just a bit as an investor. If yeah. I'm, if I'm in, in, in the investment business, what should be, what would you advise me on my tax strategy? Absolutely. That, that's an excellent question. And really to your point, it is about what you're trying to achieve because as real estate investors, we need to qualify to purchase property. So at any given time, depending on that property, we got to be mindful of having enough adjusted gross income on our tax return and maybe even eliminating some write-offs because the law doesn't say you have to take all your write-offs. The law says you have to report all your income. So being real mindful of, we can certainly drop income with write-offs. We all have expenses and we can link it to our pursuit of income but to your point, what's my goal? What am I trying to achieve? How much money do I need to show on my return to be bankable, to qualify for something? That's really important and being thoughtful of that when you're getting your taxes done and all year long. Because right now I'm dealing with a situation someone's coming to me, they can't get their loan. Their taxes have been written down, no income showing. And that's because there was no thought in how they were strategically moving forward. To your point i actually had that happen to us in the past i you know not knowing my businesses you know and being a business owner entrepreneur we were writing off all of my business so actually when it came to buying another property or our home here in dallas i had to take myself off because of the fact that i was actually hurting my husband's um income because i was writing everything off so it looks like i'm not making any money when technically I'm, i did and i didn't even know i'm like well yeah, I made money, but I just wrote it off and not realizing that those write-offs make it look like I have a negative, you know, gross or net income versus me actually making money. So, right. you know, it's like, oh, I'm thinking, oh yeah, they're going to look at my gross and see I made money. No, I wrote everything off. So they're looking at the net and what I took home and what I took home was, you know, Lord. So the last two years I've made sure not to write off everything because of that. You know, and I know it's helpful at the time. And then our, even our CPA would be like, do you need a loan next year? Because if you need a loan next year, are you looking to buy something next year? Because if you are, then we need to do your taxes differently. Yeah. So, um, that's a big thing, like you said, um, that I realized, I think that a lot of new businesses and small businesses don't realize. That's really important that you bring that up because one thing I always say, don't make a decision a day that's going to opt you out of something you want in the long run, right? Because today people are thinking about, let me just lower my taxes, let me get a refund or not pay. But then in the long run, you end up paying more so because you can't get that loan you wanted, that house you wanted, that property you wanted. And that little savings you got wasn't even worth it in the long run. Absolutely. Can you explain the differences between an, an S-Corp and the difference between, well, an S-Corp and an LLC, right? Because especially for small businesses, they never know, you know, I'm always asking that question to my attorney. I'm like, am I LLC, but am I a sole proprietorship? Like how am, what, what am I labeled as? So can yeah. you explain the difference between those? Yeah. And that's, that's a really good question too, because a lot of people, don't really understand the fundamental difference and it's, it's a lot that goes into it. 
But as a rule of thumb, an LLC is literally organized with your state like an S-Corp is. But you can be a single member LLC, which means that for tax purposes, you default to like a sole proprietorship for tax purposes. You don't have to file a separate return um, outside of your 1040. Some states have separate returns that will be added to your state return, but for the most part, you're gonna file your individual return. With an S-Corp, you gotta file the S-Corp return, the 1120. But from a tax perspective, depending on the type of business you're in, that decision is really huge because a lot of people think, if I'm a business owner, let me just default to an LLC. But it's really what type of business owner are you? Meaning, are you a real estate investor where you are buying whole? Are you a real estate investor where you are doing flipping? Are you doing syndication? What exactly are you doing? And then based on that answer would be my answer to tell them whether they should be an LLC or an S-Corp. And as a general rule of thumb, if you're holding property, you want to typically hold in an LLC. It makes sense, whether single member or multi-member. But if you flip in property, for example, you'd certainly want to be in an S-Corp to flip property. So it really depends on what you're doing. Syndications are typically going to default to partnership, LLC type returns. And the real big difference is LLCs for active businesses, like my business is an active business. It's not passive income. It's income that is being earned on a daily basis. My real estate holdings is passive income, like mailbox money, right? I'm not really doing anything actively to earn that income. Active businesses drive self-employment tax at 15.3%. So if you have like an LLC and you make a hundred grand, I have an S-Corp, I make a hundred grand, you will pay $15,300 more just by being an LLC in an active business. The key is making sure you know why you're in the entity um, for legality reasons. Obviously, I'm not an attorney, but legality reasons. And then vet it down to the tax reason and make sure that's the right, the right entity for what you're trying to accomplish, getting back to your strategy, really. Is there an income determin determining factor? Like, oh, if I'm, if I'm in this bracket, should I just stick over here to LLC? But if I'm in this bracket, then I should be over here in S-Corp. And I know you kind of broke it down and explained, but that's how people think about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't make this level of income, so I'm just going to stick in my little LLC. But is should it not even be thought about like that? Yeah, I... I honestly, like I get that thought process, right? It's like, we think, oh, I'm not as big as these bigger companies. Well, two points to that is, I really do believe your business will get as big as you want it to be. So if you start off with a small thought process, typically it takes you longer to get to a bigger business. So I would highly recommend just for that reason alone that you look long-term. What's your long-term strategy? Because switching on an entity sometimes is difficult. You have contracts and agreements under entities and it's everything's sort of moving. I would go into the entity with a strategy in place, but I don't think money really should drive that decision. I know in California, whether you're an LLC or, or an S Corp, you have an $800 minimum tax anyway. Um, different states have different um, hurdles to get over. Texas has the franchise tax, but at the end of the day, 
it shouldn't be driven on the dollar amount. It has to be driven on the, your overall strategy. I love that. One more selfish question. I'm going to squeeze in there. If I don't want to pay, you know, and if you're, if you're doing well, $800 in California for LLC should be a drop in the bucket. It may be a little painful every time you buy a house, you, you put it under an LLC. But um, can, if, if I know that Kim and Ebony are in Texas and I'm doing business with them, can I just have my LLC in Texas? They're my business partners. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can. <laughs> but... <laughs> the <answer by> the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can, but when you live in different states, right? States have what we call a nexus to income, an attachment to that income. So a lot of people think, well, if I'm investing in Texas and I live in California, I don't need to have to worry about filing a California income tax return for that income. When you are doing business across states, you're going to file in those states as well. Granted, California, I mean, Texas doesn't have state income tax, but Texas has a franchise tax. Mm -hmm. So if you are an LLC in Texas, you're going to be dealing with that franchise tax side of the equation. And you also need to think about making sure that you're filing foreign in California too, whether California has a right to that income or not will depend on whether or not you're paying personal income tax to Texas. And Texas doesn't have personal income tax. So I would say to you, if your partners are in Texas, you still need to have something here in California because you're in California. You know, that's a huge point that you mentioned that because and we talk about it on some of our previous shows, but there's a large surge in like virtual investing, like virtual wholesaling, virtual flipping. And nobody ever talks about what to do if you do like a real estate transaction in another state and how that can mm -hmm. impact you. So that's that's really good advice and something I think we should all think about. <laughs> yeah. You know how it comes up. Here's a real good example of how that comes up. It's like it doesn't really impact you in maybe in the first one or two transactions, right? Maybe you go invest with somebody and then that person sells the investment. You could even be silent on the deal. That person sells the investment, but they put you down as maybe getting paid through escrow or maybe you were sent some money some kind of way. If their transaction gets audited, it's going to ultimately come back to you if their transaction gets audited. I can tell you, for example, in the state of California, they're now auditing the 1031 exchange transactions and they're going line by line to see where money was dispersed. And then they're reaching out to those people that were paid through escrow to see if those individuals reported that on their taxes. So this virtual money is becoming a virtual tax situation for people not really thinking that there is going to be some tax implications of it. Wow, line by line, huh? That's crazy, but it yeah. makes sense. It's like you, I, I can't see, like uh -oh, you can't get away like, with uh, it, right? You can't cheat the gotten, system. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of when, um, remember when people first started selling on like eBay and they were doing businesses online and everybody was making all this money and there was no way for it to really be tracked. And then IRS came out with third party tracking forms now to where if you transact, whether it's eBay, Stripe, anybody, they now report that to IRS. 
So use that same analogy where people pan each other by Zelle and Venmo and all these different ways of paying each other. Eventually, they're going to come out with the tracking system and how to audit it because the tracking system is already there. How to audit that system is what they're working on. That's mm. what's important. Right, right. That's that's huge. And I'm, I would be interested to see like what, what that legislation looks like as it comes out. How frequently, this is just kind of like an offshoot, how frequently does the tax code change? Is that like a yearly thing? Oh my gosh. It's, lately it's been daily, girl. Really? <laughs> it's been changing. Uh, yes. This year, 2020, the tax code has changed probably about a good four or five times. And then with a change comes clarity, right? It's like, okay, this is what we wrote, but this is what we intended. So then there's more changes as it comes. So it changes very, very often, but it's not necessarily the tax code that's going to change that's going to drive more of these audits. What's going to drive more of these audits is the fact that we're now living in a more virtual um, economy, if you will. We're not exchanging dollars going to the store giving you our green dollars. We're doing it all electronically. So IRS will eventually catch up with the electronic auditing of financial transactions. And it's already being done at some level. Wow. That's great info. The heads up, all you influencers out there, <laughs> all oh, you yeah. social media influencers, get paid via Cash App. They're coming for you eventually. It's coming. They're coming. <laughs> I was reading earlier today about some um, new changes on forums. They're now talking about virtual currency and all of these things that are going on. You now see that on the tax forms because they know people are transacting business in different ways. Mm. But I mean, it's it's expected, right? Like, especially with the change with COVID, like it just tossed everything up. So, you know, people have had to be really creative, but in that same vein, when you're being creative with ways to make money, just remember like taxes are real. Yeah. <laughs> taxes yeah. Are real. And, and you don't want people to be afraid, but what I say is that, you know, once you know better, you got to do better. People exactly. did whatever they needed to do to get to where they are. But once you you know now, it's going to start gnawing at you. And that's going to naturally require you to do better, clean your house up. Mm, that's it. So speaking of that, knowing better and doing better, what would you say is like a big mistake that you see investors make in regards to taxes? Yeah, like I see a lot of different things. The one thing that I would say is not understanding the tax implications of how that deal is going to land on their tax return. Not understanding what the write-off really looks like. Um, I get investors investing through their IRA thinking that there's going to be a write-off on their individual tax return. There's not going to be a write-off on their individual tax return. I get investors who have a high level of income and maybe they're invested in some deal that's going to give them losses, so they think, on paper because of maybe depreciation, but they don't qualify to take those losses because that investment is passive for tax purposes and the passive loss, they're not going to get a chance to deduct it. So they think that they don't have any upside of that transaction. So I would say the biggest thing is just really not understanding the tax implications of the deal not understanding what it really means, your 
down payment is not a write-off. That's an investment. It's, it's a lot into it. Taking the time to understand is important. Yeah, you definitely hit home with that too, because you just earlier, I know when you said the S Corp is better for flippers, but it's kind of hard because, I mean, we have an LLC, but we do wholesales, we do flips. So it's almost like, well, which one do I choose? We do have an LLC, but now you got me thinking I should have an S Corp instead. So it's like, do we have, do we do both or how do we, how do you, do you base it upon, and this is a, a personal question, do you base it upon the majority of your portfolio? Is that how you you go about changing that? Yeah, the way I would really base it is really, I set up entities according to my streams of income because I'm all about protecting my stream of income and not co-mingling streams of income. Mm. So if you just think about where we are right now and we heard about businesses, different organizations getting access to so much money under the whole COVID money, the whole bailout money, the, the PPP and the different loans that are out there, right? And you wonder how they were able to do that because when organizations start to grow, they separate off their income streams. It may be Carla Dennis Holdings, but maybe under her holdings, she could have 30 companies that are doing business. And that's something we need to think about. Like for everything that you do, even down to your your uh, radio and your podcasts and sponsorships, influencers, everything that you do as you grow, if you isolate it in a separate entity for, for its purpose, you will always be in the right entity. The other component to that is the tax code is set up for you to be in the right entity because many times we are co-mingling inside of an entity and don't realize it they have the standard classification code that says if you're in a certain industry, your code is X, Y, and Z. If you're in this industry, you're classified by this code. The real estate industry doesn't have one code. There's multiple codes. And so each business based on the type of income and how you're making that income needs to really stand on its own in the long, in the long term. It sounds like one of the first things that an investor needs to do is get a good CPA, get somebody who knows. Get some planning going on. <laughs> yeah, need to get yeah. a good tax strategy. Don't be out here trying to DIY your taxes. Oh no. And no, that sounds like something I probably need to do actually now that I think about it. I need to get real serious about that. If you really are trying to grow your wealth, I mean, I learned this by really stumbling through a lot of it and and learning as you go, right? I had the privilege, and I say the privilege of learning about tax law at a very young age. I didn't really understand how all the pieces fit until obviously I started to walk that walk myself as an investor and investing in different things. But if we just take a step back and we all just sort of look at some of the wealthier people that we know in this country and we look behind how they built their wealth, right? And that wealth, a lot of times they own real estate holdings, they own different things, but they own different holdings. And when you hear people have different holdings, they are holding it in different companies and really strategizing to be able to be a business owner, be an investor, come up in our wealth building and keep the taxes low. It's like the perfect teeter-totter. You got to balance it out and you can't just be tax low 
and and no income, right? You got to kind of balance it to have the best of both worlds. And how you do that really is behind a strategy and is bigger than just April 15th. Right. Um, I, I love that. And I think that's informative because we just, like you were saying before, these are just things that we just aren't taught. You know, even, even in college, you know, you may get a tax, um, you're a professor, you know this, right? You know, yeah. you, you may get a class or two, um, but it's, these things aren't really taught to us in detail. And you're only going to get that class and if you have a business, you know, and that's your, um, that's what you're going to school to graduate in, right? To get a degree in business. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, these things just aren't taught to us. And I'm wondering, like, how do these people know this? Like, you know, how do they know this stuff? <laughs> how did they just come out knowing this? But um, we kind of talked about some of the, the big mistakes um, that people make, but I want to talk about some of the things that are that are really kind of going on and that are positive. I'm going to try to stick to the grip, but there's so much that I want to know. But you um, recently talked about in your blog about self-storage syndication and just making wealth through syndication. And I actually spoke with another tax expert who talked to me about syndication. Can you kind of explain the tax strategy and how storage is being used uh, to build? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So self-storage is becoming a bigger thing, even more so now. And what I can say about a syndication deal is really leaning on the knowledge of others to propel yourself further into real estate investing. That's really what it's about. It's about people pulling money together to invest in something that maybe we as individuals don't have the capacity with the capital or knowledge to invest in that. But when you do go into a syndication deal, you're to- Can I stop you? Can, can you break down to me also what a syndication is um, and, and kind of break that down to me as you go I was, My apologies for interrupting. I yeah. was gonna ask that same question. Can, could, I, could you break down? Cause I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. So a syndication deal is typically where you are going to go with a sponsor, promoter person who has a deal that they are putting together. They have the know-how, they have the background, and they are raising money, capital, if you will, to move this deal forward. The key things that I always look at is the integrity of the people that I'm jumping in this deal with, because it's really important to me that these people have some history in what they're doing and that they have some level of integrity in terms of what's happening with their deal. And then you're going to become an investor in their deal and you're gonna put your funds up. In exchange for that, they're gonna use your money to go out and purchase this piece of property, whatever the project is that they're working on, and you are going to have an equity stake in that property or get some return on your investment. The money that you put in, you're gonna get money back out of the deal. But you are not going to be the general partner in the deal because the general people that are working in the deal are the people that are putting the deal together. You're just an investor. You're passive in this deal. You're not active in it. And that's really important for people to understand because you're not the person that is ultimately the decision maker. You're not the person that's going to get all of the tax benefits from the overall deal because you're in the passive position in this particular deal. And then at the end of the day, when you invest in the deal and if it's, the deal is put together right, you at the end of the year should receive a K-1 form 
which is a tax form, sort of like a W-2 form, except it's a form as to your share of the income and expense associated with being a part of that investment. Like you get your W-2 as your share of the income when you go to work every day, you get a K-1 form. I think it's important that our listeners know that because many times K-1 forms come late and they will file their taxes without them. And it's important to know that that needs to be reported on your income taxes so that whatever your fair share of the income or loss is, is reportable. Now, the income you make is always going to be taxable, but whether you can take the loss when you're in a syndication deal is a different story because is passive loss. And that's going to be based on your income level and a whole lot of other things without going all into the weeds. But a syndication is people crowding together to make, to get money together, to purchase a deal. And typically the deals are um, things that you couldn't do on your own for sure. Because why would you get involved if you could do it on your own? Okay. Thank you for that. I know that you were talking about, you know, self-storage syndication. And so I wanted to just kind of touch on that and, yeah. and just kind of understand what that is. Um, yeah. Self-storage is really, um, you know, most people think about uh, residential rental. They think about investing in, you know, apartments or commercial, just basic commercial property with normal type tenants. But um, the storage is people that actually need storage and where they're putting their property in storage and they're paying for storage. And so now you are an investor in storage units when the syndication deal is wrapped around storage, which I personally, and this is my personal opinion, it's not an expert opinion. I personally think that storage in the future is going to be a great investment just because History has told us when we have a upset in our economy and people start to lose jobs and lose their financial well-being, what comes with that is having a downside. And when you downsize, that property needs to go somewhere and it's typically going in storage. So I don't know, maybe that's a nugget. Maybe it's just Carla, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take that as the uh, uh, as a, a futuristic uh, <laughs> bet. We'll take it. <laughs> I have another question that I know our audience is goes. I hear both sides of this question. Is it better to lease or purchase your vehicle when you have a business? Yeah, that's a that's sort of six in one and half dozen the other, right? So if you are the type of person that likes to be driving a new car all the time, right? Like the Carla Dennis's of the world, when the car gets to be about two or three years old, I, I got shiny object syndrome. I want a new car. You probably want to be a lease person, right? Just lease it and rent it. And, and that's going to be your best strategy. But if you're the individual that wants to get the most bang for your buck and write that car off until the wheels fall off, and there's people out there that want to do that, right? Then you're probably going to be better off purchasing that vehicle and taking the depreciation write-off and the other write-offs associated with the purchase versus a lease. And I think it's with both of them, you're going to get equally good write-offs. It just depends on what's your strategy. Again, it comes back to what's your, what's your goal. 
Okay. And I guess it's been the, the way that it's been explained to me from previous CPAs. I've had one, we've had one tell me, oh, no, leasing's better. And one saying, oh, buying's better. But it was more so about the business that you're in. For instance, you know, with someone like Courtney who sees a lot of clients, I've heard that it's better, it would be better for her to lease. But then again, at the same time, you're putting a lot of miles on your car. So which it's, you know, like you said, it's kind of one of those things. Yeah, from a tax perspective, it's, it's not a better from a tax perspective. Okay. From a business perspective um, and putting wear and tear on her car, maybe from a business perspective, she may decide to make that decision to lease from a business perspective, but not from a tax perspective, right? Okay. That's that's not going to be the answer to, to vet that out. And I know a lot of people think that, but it's really not. Because they both have write-offs. That's right. Okay. They both have write-off. On, on the lease, you're writing off the lease payment. Yep. If you purchase, you're going to write off the actual expenses or the mileage that you're going to take. Mm -hmm. Either or, you're going to get the cost of that vehicle written off. Got you. That makes sense. Thank you for coming back to that. That was crucial. <laughs> <laughs> it is you hear you hear both sides and we get people you know you get it, I, I feel like it's a more of a personal preference on the CPA that you're dealing with because you've yep. got one that'll say lease a car if you own businesses and then another one will say buy a car if you own businesses so yeah I just I don't think that decision is made that way I just think in the end you're going to end up with the same amount of write-offs okay I think the decision is bigger than that it's about how you do business, the type of business you have, how frequent you need to switch in and out of a car, um, how much money you have to put down on it. There are so many other variables that go into that. And I just think, um, just I, I guess just being strategic in our thought process when we're making tax smart decisions. I think that's what I really want you guys to think of it as. It's not gonna be one size fits all for anything that we're talking about. The tax law is certainly the tax law, but whether you decide you're going to have one LLC to hold property or you're gonna have five LLCs because you have five properties, it's gonna be a personal preference. That's huge. And I think that's that's a huge takeaway is, you know, don't look for a one size fit all um, solution. It's really about understanding what your use case is and being strategic in that in that sense. So again, you need a tax professional if you're not taking away anything else from this. Yeah, because a lot of this has gone completely over my head in the sense that I'm like, whoa. So now I feel like, a, you know, once again, another guest <laughs> has me rethinking my entire business and how I run my business because, woo, I mean, I'm over here like, oh, we got three LLCs already. I'm like, wait a minute. I think I need an escort. <laughs> And you're yeah. probably doing great. It's it's really levels to it. And the more right. knowledge you get, the more you level up. And that's really the growth, right? You grow your business by growing your knowledge. That's part of the growth. And I think that even today, if you have three LLCs and me and you have this conversation next year and you were to bring it all to me, I would probably tell you something different based on what your goals are at that moment. It doesn't mean your current decision is incorrect. It just means as you're driving your dollars and driving your wealth, you got to start driving more thought process in it. I like what you just said, driving your wealth. Like I've never heard it put in that sense, but really, I mean, it is like you really are. 
in charge and driving this and having a good solid tax strategy is what keeps keeps the motor running right it's yep. what oh my gosh i love it. i got chills courtney i got chills <laughs> You also got your quote. We also got the quote. <laughs> yeah, we got we got a quote. <laughs> I, no, but seriously, that's a huge perspective change for me. Yeah, yeah. It's really just it's just thinking differently and realize that there's a whole profession behind tax strategy, and it's not something you're gonna Google on the internet and really figure out. It's like us trying to Google to find out the cure to COVID, right? Dr. Fauci don't even have that down yet. So how, it's just not going to happen like that. It's a whole process behind it. <laughs> so Speaking, <laughs> you know, of this, and I don't want to get, it's so hard to talk about taxes and not talk politics. And so I'm going to try not to talk politics, but I have a really quick question. And it's with these low interest rates. Buyers are coming out of the woodwork. Everybody wants to buy something because interest rates are so low. Can you just tell me, what do you think the impact of these low interest rates is going to be in the future? Woo. Every, every Marion good has the opposite Marion bad. So I think the future, the interest rates are going to go up. They, they have to. Um, fiscal policy said lower because of inflation. Rates. Yes, exactly. Through inflation. And it, it can't last forever. We're sitting on an opportunity with the low cost of money to be an investor, right? To go out there and get some capital to invest. So this is definitely an opportunity to be at low cost of capital. Will this last? Of course not, because the fiscal policies will not allow it to last. It just, it, it cannot last like that. Ebony had a question, you know, also kind of along that lines of, what do you think the proposed tax is going to be? And her question was more so, you know, well, you want to ask your question, Ebony? Yeah, I don't mind. So <laughs> um, just, you know, watching the upcoming presidential election, I guess Joe Biden, I don't know how this came out, but he released like a, a, a financial plan or like a, a policy about doing away with 1031 exchange. And I'm in a... I, I'm not a part of any 1031 exchanges, clearly, but I've heard it, you know, be tossed around. And I, I saw on some of the real estate investing groups that I'm in, like people are up in arms, like, oh no, Biden's going to come in and he's going to do away with 1031 exchange and real estate investing, as we know, it is going to be demolished. So I just wanted to get your opinion on, uh, number one, if you're familiar with, I think it's called the like kind rule or something like something to that nature. If you're familiar with that, and if he is elected, and if that change somehow makes it to Congress, like, what do you think the impact would be on on real estate investors? <laughs> well, let's back up back up a second and explain to our audience what a 1031 exchange is, because we're also speaking to a lot of our audience as beginners, right? And they're probably yeah. some some people know, but some people are sitting there clueless as to what that is, even is. Yeah, yeah. So 1031 that comes from tax code 1031. Code section 1031. And it's it really means that you can sell a piece of property and exchange it. Notice I said exchange it into another piece of property and defer the tax. So it's called a 1031 like kind exchange coming from the tax code. And it's a process behind how that has to be done. And it needs to be done correctly. 
meaning you shouldn't just go sell your property, put the money in your own bank account, and then go purchase another piece of property. It's a whole process behind it. So don't try that at home, for sure. You definitely need to do it correctly. Don't um, Google it. Yes, don't, don't, don't do that. Google it. But the key is, when in regards to the 1031 exchange and your question that you asked me, I'm definitely familiar with the proposals that are out there in terms of how the tax law is going to change. I'm actually doing an entire breakdown on this in the next couple of weeks as I'm going through and I'm reading and vetting it all out. And I know that there's going to be some additional additives to the potential tax plan that Biden has proposed now that he has selected a running mate. So to answer your question, do I think that um, it's going to impact the investor market? Absolutely. I think it will impact the investor market. Now, whether it passes or not, mm, I don't know, because I think that there's big money in real estate and money drives decision-making, right? Through donations and political action committees or whatever the case may be. So I just think it, it sounds good, but we'll see if, it, if it's able to come forth. Because I think those that are going to influence that decision are sitting on the money to influence the decision. Right, absolutely. And I'm glad to hear you say that because it's the way it was positioned, how I read it, it was almost like a Robin Hood effect. Like we're going to take the money that these real estate investors are not paying in taxes and we're going to use it to put towards education, towards, you know, uh, I think it's something specifically with children. And again, not to get into the politics of what that means, but it was just kind of like a red flag. Like how does that work knowing how real estate really is a lifeblood in this in this country um, and that money? So I guess we'll kind of have to see. And, you know, we'll see what Kamala says uh what input she gives to it as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting. This is definitely going to be um, an interesting year for taxes. Next year is going to be an interesting year for taxes. I think that if there is ever a time that a person needs to be very strategic and how they move forth with their um, dollars, just even your time, even your mental capacity, how you use how you use your capital. And we have capital in the form of our dollars, we have capital in the form of your platform, capital in the form of your knowledge base, how you use your capital moving forward is gonna be really important because it really can, is going to make a difference because there's been so much change and there's gonna be even more change that if you're not being strategic in the way that you're moving, through and making your decisions, um, it could really undercut what you're trying to do or it could really parlay you to where you need to go faster. And we say that with all things real estate as well, or even business, especially with everything that's happening with COVID, that what you do now is going to set you up for 2021. That's and, right. And so that is a huge statement that you made about, you know, you need to be we need to be mindful of how we're moving and setting ourselves up because that's going to follow us. That's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. There's so many tax codes out there. Um, and I'm sure you have maybe one that is your kind of go-to as a business owner and just being in high-faded businesses. What is, what's your favorite tax code? 
162. Code section 162. Uh, because that's the that's the code. First section. Of all, what is that? <laughs> I was surely about to Google. I was about to be where what is Oh, <laughs> that's the code section that gives business owners the ability to take the write-offs, right? That that code section that talks about you are allowed ordinary necessary expenses associated with generating income is been um, put before the courts and has had so much go back and forth. And it's one of my favorite parts of the tax code because it's really an opportunity tax code, to be very honest with you. And when interpreted properly and used correctly, what we can do is is limitless, really. And I just think it's, um, I don't know, it's just one of my favorite tax codes that I fall back on. Gets a girl fired up. <laughs> So can you explain some tax rules wholesalers and house flippers should be aware of when they're when they're um, receive their payday from a transaction? I know you kind of touched on it earlier, but between the difference, because they do operate a little bit different, is there certain things that, you know, wholesalers and flippers need to be looking for? Yeah. And, and one thing that's important about that is when you are a wholesaler and you're putting together transactions, you're making money, you're in an active business. And so that business, even though it's part of real estate, which typically passive, that's active money subject to self-employment tax. Um, when you're flipping, this is where flippers, I see sort of get it confused. When you're flipping real estate, that property that you're holding at that moment really is like inventory to you. It's not property that you should be depreciating and um, putting on your taxes on a Schedule E as a rental real estate type of property. And I see that a lot, that people have a property that they're flipping and they could be in between a flip before they flipped it to somebody. And they're putting on their tax return as an investment property being depreciated. And it's not that type of real estate holding. And so I think it's so important that when you are in real estate, that you know where you are in real estate. Like, are you investing? Are you a buy and hold? Are you a flipper? Understand where you are in the market and understand the tax implications behind it because it's really different for each type. Yeah, that's crazy because we have all of the three, wholesaling, flipping, and buying holes. <laughs> so it's one of those like, oh, okay, yeah. I might need to hire your services because I have no idea. Yeah, it's, it's different <laughs> for each one of those. And just making sure it's being done right is so important. Um, I have a client I'm working with who was in a flip, gone, gone, it's flipped out now. It's gone crazy because now everybody's coming back, suing everybody. And the uh, documentation is so commingled because of... They were doing wholesaling, they were doing buy and hold, they were working out of one entity. And it's really hard to separate what the intent was behind all the transactions and just really getting it straight from the beginning is important. Are you taking new clients? We are taking new clients. And 
what we do is we really hold a conversation in the beginning to see if it's a good fit for us and for the client. What are you trying to accomplish and can we meet that need? Because sometimes it could be a matter of me just telling the client something they need to do that will straighten out what they're doing for where they are right now. And then some other clients, they need an entirely strategic plan mapped out um, to get them where they need to go. So we always do a complimentary consultation with clients to see, can we bring them value? Mm. And where can our listeners find you? Oh yeah, they can go to carlagenis.com um, and they can opt in. They will definitely find me there. I'm not too difficult to find. Drop You're me not. Google. <laughs> yeah, I'm just all over the place for sure. Um, but yeah, that's where they can find us. Awesome. And before we let, before we, um, first I want to say thank you for being on. Just, this has been so informative and we'll give you some more love. But before we let you go, I, we want to just have a little bit of fun and just do some rapid fire with you and uh, just see how you, how quick you are on your feet. All right. You ready? <laughs> All right. So Carla, what is the last song that you listen to? Oh, that's real easy. Dave Cos. Dave I'm Cos. A Oh yeah, I'm a day. I'm a jazz girl, so I love girl. to listen to jazz music. And um, this morning, I was on my um, elliptical listening to my jazz guy I love instrumental it. music. I love that. I love it. I'm just getting this vibe with the beach behind you, and you relaxing, working out, listening to jazz. Yes, I love it. That's awesome. And a glass of uh, wine. That's what's missing. <laughs> <laughs> on the beach. Um, what about like when you're, where you're down, um, coming down from the tax, in the tax world and you're watching TV or watching a movie and it's one movie that you've seen forever. Maybe it's just your favorite movie. Um, and it comes on, what are you not passing up? What am I, I'm not passing up, uh, pretty woman. I'm not passing up the devil wears Prada. Ah! And I'm just not gonna pass those movies up. Two of my faves as well. I love Pretty Woman. That's I love gonna be Pretty my Woman. favorite. I'm a love huge Peter Roberts fan. <laughs> Always. <laughs> That's so funny. I had a, a cousin tell me the other day. We we uh, in this generation, she's um, in their twenties. We don't believe in those fairy tale princes save the save the woman thing. And I was like, really? You you, you don't like Pretty Woman? Yeah. <laughs> Don't know what you're missing. These kids these days. These okay. kids. <laughs> on your bucket list. What's on your bucket list, Carla? What are you looking forward to doing most? Having my grandchildren. I'm looking forward to having, Aww. being a mother of four sons, I'm looking forward to having granddaughters. That's, I don't know. I'm looking forward to that more than anything. Um, that's a big deal for me. I just want to have grandchildren one day. That's Aww. huge. And I want to, I want to educate them. I want to spoil them. I just, I just want to punish my kids for, for being hardheaded by spoiling their children. That's so funny. <laughs> I love with, um, with, I love that. That's so super sweet. And I just want to throw out the fact that um, if you ever just want some kids, I got some, they're just a few, they're a few hours away, but um, <laughs> just come pick them up. <laughs> you got them. <laughs> Three of them. The girls, boy, whatever. <laughs> Take a pick. 
Anyway, well, look, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, miss. <laughs> thank you so much for, uh, for joining us and taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it. This was informative, and I, I hope that everyone gets out of it what we have gotten out of it today because it was just meaty, meaty and chunky. So thank you so much for your time. I'm appreciative of all three of you ladies and just being able to share the information I shared and being in your presence. I'm always grateful and humbled. I just learned so much. I, I just loved it. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. We'll be in touch.